0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to First Film, the podcast where we discuss famous directors and their feature-length directorial debuts. My name is Baden. And I'm Kyle. And we are here, episode three. We did it! Yeah! We did it, last episode! Hello! <laughs> We're finishing! No no, 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 Today, we are going to be talking about... Sofia Coppola's The Virgin Suicides. 1999. Wow. I think the, the most recent of all the ones you have watched, and um, I'm super excited to get into this one. So
1: before we start, there is a content warning for this episode, it covers some heavy your topics such as suicide, self-harm, so just be prepared before going into this episode. Absolutely, yeah.
0: And listen on if you're interested to hear probably the craziest conspiracy theory I've come up with so far. It is wild. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, absolutely. Be sure to like and
1: tell your friends about the podcast. Follow us, subscribe, and if you have any recommendations or thoughts on this episode, email us at firstfilmpoddy, P-O-D-D-Y, at
0: gmail.com. Absolutely. We look forward to hearing from you. But
1: with that being said, Vaden, let's dive into the director's segment. Baboo. So,
0: Sophia Coppola, babe. What do you know about Sophia Coppola? I know she's the daughter of a Francis Ford a Coppola. Who... Raw. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> Forget everything you thought you Forget knew. Forget everything you knew. We went to her house. We stole her passport. This
1: is about to be like the Godfather itself.
0: Carl, God, why is there a car outside? <laughs> why is there a car menacingly filled with vaguely Italian people? I, I don't, I don't no, know. No,
1: but let's actually dive into her life, babe. All right. So, Sophia was the daughter, the only daughter out of a family of sons and the youngest of Francis Ford Coppola who you might know from Godfather yep Apocalypse Now, who Harvey Keitel was supposed to be in. Oh
0: my god, yeah. Yeah, the connection between episodes are insane. Crazy. And
1: Eleanor Coppola, who is a documentarian who only really does documentaries on her husband's films. I
0: mean, she's got the inside scoop, what can I say? But
1: this is where it gets kind of crazy. Her aunt is Talia Shire, who acted in Rocky and The Godfather. Her cousin is Nicolas Cage.
0: Wait, what? Yeah. Hang on, Nicolas Cage is related to Francis? Ford Coppola? Yeah. What?
1: That's actually how I believe Nicolas Cage got his start in acting because of his connections through Francis Ford.
0: Okay, that is the craziest thing I think I've ever heard. But they that have that's one insane.
1: more famous cousin as well Jason Schwartzman.
0: Of Scott Pilgrim fame. Of
1: Scott Pilgrim fame, <laughs> exactly. So, like all great filmmakers, Baden, she was raised on a farm in uh, Rutherford, California, where all great filmmakers are born. It's the birthplace of all the great. She attended the California Institute of the Arts. And she had a very humble upbringing. Like anyone at fifteen, she interned at Chanel, the luxury clothing company. Mm, all right. And dropped out of college to start her own clothing line called Milk Fed, <laughs> <laughs> which I
0: mean, okay. Yeah, you know, just standard fifteen-year-old stuff, right? Like- yeah. Honestly, it sounds like she was kind of behind in high school.
1: Yeah, I mean, I co-founded seven high luxury clothing brands. What yeah, you? I'm only on my fifth, but you know, it's ticking along. Yeah, um, so this company is sold exclusively in Japan now. And yeah, I think it's still going. The last, I checked out their website yesterday. Their last post was 2021. So maybe they're just waiting or something. I don't know. Maybe COVID <laughs> fucked them up. Who maybe, knows? you don't know. But she actually didn't want to become a filmmaker at first. Okay. She did so yep. after making her first film called Lick the Star in 1998. Interesting. Which is actually featured on the Criterion Collection of the Virgin Suicides. Really? Yeah. So do you want to know a bit about this film?
0: Yeah, yeah. Give, give me like the overview. I'll, I'll dive into the details later. It's about a group of
1: girls with the catchphrase, Lick the Star, who plan to use arsenic to poison boys at their school. And it goes to have her get suspended, have the main girl learn about <laughs> slavery and racism, which comes up later. And through rumors, has everyone believe she is a racist and she attempts suicide.
0: Oh, that's pretty dark.
1: Right? And what's also interesting is this short film has a lot of similarities to some of her later works, right.
0: especially Virgin Suicides. Yeah, I mean, just that plot summary you gave sounded like it could be very similar in violence. Vibes you know, in many ways, almost like a... If The Virgin Suicides is Superman, that sounds like it could be Brightburn. <laughs> <laughs> that is the weirdest That's the, the worst analogy I ever could have given. Uh,
1: but I actually lied to you, Baden, as her start in Hollywood didn't actually begin with this short film. Mm. It started when she was an infant. Nice. Acting in seven of her father's films, most notably in The Godfather in the baptism scene.
0: Oh, okay. She's she's the priest? <laughs> she, she's doing the
1: baptism? Uh, she actually was in a flesh suit oh. to play the Wow, brand. that's amazing. But she would return to The Godfather in the second, playing an immigrant child, and most infamously in part three, playing Michael Corleone's daughter. After wow. the original actress, who you might know as Winona Ryder,
0: Whoa! had
1: to drop out on the first day of shooting on December 28th,
0: which is today. Today. Which is today. we recording this. Wow, was. look at that. So listeners, just know <laughs> just know how long these take. Yeah, guys, t- t- okay? So you know what? Leave a like right that's now. That's right, leave
1: a like. Yeah, so. it was shot in Rome and Winona began suffering from nervous exhaustion and a medical professional actually said yeah she had to drop out. Wow. So after Winona Ryder dropped out he wanted to get Julia Roberts Mm. but that meant delaying production as he was already over budget. He then wanted to get Madonna but would have to rewrite the part. Wow. So he casted his daughter and Sophia actually said she never wanted to be an actress she just did it because her dad told her to. That kind of sucks yeah. (laughs) And when the film came out disastrous box office it started really high and then it just kind of fell into a decline Mm. and a lot of the negative reception the film received was pushed onto her as they felt her role caused the film to take a downfall. That's
0: crazy. It must have been a pretty significant role then. I haven't seen the third God well, by the movie. it but... was
1: supposed to be Francis Ford Coppola's big comeback. That's insane. So imagine having this weight of the father. Sucks. Right? It it's, oh my it's really God. sad. And her mother actually wrote in a diary during filming at the time that was kept for Vogue. And it says this. She is not ready, not trained for what is being asked of her, and that in the end she will be fodder for critics' bad reviews that could scar her for years. They also tell me that Francis can't afford to take a chance that would weaken his work at this point so the pressure was really fucking high yeah that's awful (laughs) you
0: should not put that on
1: a child that's so bad you're coming from this filmmaking family your mother and your father and you're going into one of the biggest franchises it's a huge franchise yeah I have some of the critics kind of... Oh, you have some stuff from them? Yeah. So, one, the role was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress and Worst New Star at the 1990 Golden Raspberry Awards. Uh, And Sophia said herself, well-meaning people tell me I am permitting a form of child abuse, which is
0: fucking uh, insane. That is insane. Insane. Again, like, just not her fault on this one, I don't think.
1: And she later would actually go on to say that she was never hurt from the criticism. But I have a bit on that, as I think you can see from her later stuff that it definitely took an impact on her. Mm-hmm. And there's no way of knowing because, you know, we're not yeah. in her mind. But you'll see what I
0: mean. We are in her mind, actually. We're in her. We're in Sophia Coppola's <laughs> escape right now. We're in the flesh suit. <laughs> we're in the flesh suit. We're just, we're, the world is a big flesh suit. We're just jostling around <laughs> in one of the toes. We're the
1: brain cells. We are not the brain cells. Cells <laughs> of this flesh suit. But she said she was never hurt from the criticism and she never wanted an acting career. Right. But I don't think a young person should have been put through that. And she was only like 19. Yeah. But this starts off odd and incredible cameos that she's starting over her life, Baden. The only role separate from her father's films was Frankenweenie. Wow. And this was actually unknown for quite some time as she went under the stage Domino as she thought it was glamorous. Domino, okay. And then starting in the 90s, she was in several music videos for Sonic Youth, The Chemical Brothers, Madonna, and The Black Crows where she would meet her best friend Zoe Kazovitz after meeting her at a Vogue shoot and then they would go on to direct the Comedy Central show High Octane. Really? Yeah. Not only that, the Chemical Brothers music video was directed by Spike Jones, mm. who she was with up until two thousand and three. She was with Spike Jones. They were dating for a time.
0: Yeah, holy crap. This is like a crazy mosh pit of celebrities, right? Like you think the acting world is crazy, but boy, I, I want to hear more about, like this stuff, the drama, yeah, the
1: angst. Um after this, she was in the film Inside Monkey Zetterland. And she was Sashay, one of Queen Padme's handmaidens in The Phantom Menace.
0: Holy shit, the crossover that we're going to have later is going to be crazy. I know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And funnily enough, her baptism scene in the original Godfather actually inspired in Revenge of the Sith, where Chancellor Palpatine declares the formation of the Empire while Anakin
0: Skywalker kills the Separatist leaders. That's a real fact. (laughs) I'm just imagining, you know, okay, during that scene, there's a great shot behind Palpatine as he raises (laughs) his hands up and someone. He's to edit in a baby, baby. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the Lord
1: What well Anakin slaughters yeah. the young Oh, man. Oh, my God. Um, And later on, she would actually return to having odd cameos in 2022, appearing with her husband, Thomas Mars, in What We Do in the Shadows. The movie? Or the show? The show. Wow. All right. Yeah. But then everything would change when she made her feature film directing debut with the Virgin Suicides. So she was drawn to the story after reading the book, and she felt it understood the teenage experience. And if it wasn't for the book, she might not have a career in film. And I actually think, remember what I was saying earlier, how The Godfather, she claimed to never really affect her. Yeah. I think personally, after experiencing the hate she got from her role in Godfather, and specifically the subject of loss after losing her older brother, she was drawn to the story.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So Cannes caused the film to push her career, and then she filmed her next movie really quickly after, Lost in Translation. Mmm, Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson. A film shot in 27 days. That's crazy. With a small crew. They shot without permits, shot things spur of the moment on the street and shot things in actual hotels between two and three in the morning to not disturb guests really yeah she actually faced controversy on the film as it had no meaningful japanese roles there's a lot of negative stereotypes attitudes harmful to the japanese and asian communities and sophia actually responded to this oh i could see why people might think that but i know i'm not a racist I think everything everything's based on truth, you can make fun, have a little laugh, but also be respectful of culture. I love Tokyo, and I'm not mean-spirited. She continues, begin to sound slightly panicked. Even on daily call sheets, they would mix up the R's and the I's. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? But
0: <laughs> Mixing up R's and I's?
1: All that was from experience. It's not made up. I guess someone has misunderstood my intentions. It bugs me because I know I'm not racist. I think just everything you do, people could be offended by. Unless you're just trying to be nice about everyone.
0: Sounds like her message got a little bit lost in bloody translation. translation. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: So if you remember her uh, short film there, how the girl was accused of being yeah, a racist. Yeah. Oh my God. It comes back at this and it comes back later as well. Art imitates life. Yeah. So in 2006, she made Mary Antoinette starring Kirsten Dunst again. Right. And it's a pretty interesting spin on the vial pick. It modernizes it with kind of the dialogue and the hit songs at the time. Yeah. And Sophia says she was drawn towards the character as an innocent and caring character who found herself in a situation outside of her control.
0: Again, Godfather that, 3, Yeah, right? seems very much pulled from her life. I heard that uh, that movie actually got booed at Cannes. Really? Yeah, which is crazy. Wow. Right? Like, you never hear about that. You hear about people clapping for like 17 years or whatever. <laughs> but, but like, I can't believe someone booed. I've never seen it, but I'm kind no, of interested to now. My understanding is that it's been pretty well received over time. Like, yeah. It's in a lot of people's, I wouldn't say like top 10 or anything but like a lot of uh cinematography um compilations and stuff she's a really good cinematographer yeah actually. like they they pull from that
1: so in 2010 she made a film that depicts a newly famous actor recuperating from a minor injury whose wealth fame and professional experiences cannot alleviate the existential crisis he was experiencing as he's forced to take care for his 11 year old daughter in the absence of his wife father-son relationship, could be Francis and Sophia, sort of, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, similar themes, like these very human dramas, for sure. She's
1: drawn to a specific type of story. Yeah. Uh, I recently
0: watched the movie Spirited, uh, with Ryan Reynolds, it reminds oh me of that. Oh He's got she, uh, there's this daughter that he needs to take care of, and... Everybody, at this point, <laughs> I'm looking for a new host of the First Film Podcast. Uh, you can email us at First Film Body. Um, and
1: in 2013, she made a film called The Bling Ring, but in 2013, in 2014, she was supposed to direct a live-action adaptation of The Little Mermaid and wanted to shoot the film completely underwater Wow! with Chloe Grace Moretz as Ariel for Universal Pictures, not Disney. Sofia Coppola doing Little Mermaid would be crazy. Yeah. So the script was written by Carolyn Thompson, who's pretty well known for her screenplays of Corpse Bride, Mm. Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, so these are these like iconic movies. And other pretty prominent Tim Burton works. And again, comes full circle because of Frankenweenie. Yep, Frankenweenie. And the film, I think, got scrapped because Disney announced their live action version. Right.
0: Which I think is still in the works now. The trailer's out. I think that was at D23 this year or whatever. Crazy. Also... Is Ariel in the public domain? How was Universal gonna even do that?
1: It's like a story from like eighteen hundreds or even before I think. Oh wow. It's old. So it's old. So
0: Disney like eight years ago says that they are gonna do it and and Universal scraps their project. That's crazy. Eight years later, it's still not out. (laughs) She then made a film known as The Beguiled in
1: 2017. I've heard about that one, yeah. And it was about an all-girls school in Virginia during the Civil War and an injured Union soldier. She actually faced controversy yet again. Really? Over whitewashing for removing the supporting role of a black female slave and getting a biracial character to be played by Kirsten. Also for minimizing the actual hardships to depict lavish lifestyles instead. Oh, okay. Bit of a recurring theme, right? Yeah. Yeah, That sucks. And then there was a bit of a break. There's some in-between stuff that I'll kind of get to. Yeah. But in between her various works, she's done a lot of shorts, music videos, a stage production. She has a stage production? It's entitled La Traviata.
0: La Traviata. La Traviata.
1: La Traviata. Uh, and promotional videos for Dior. Okay. And supposedly she is working on a film about Priscilla Presley.
0: Oh, yeah. Based on, like, um the biography, I think. hmm Yeah. With
1: Kaylee Spaney, who you might know from Pacific Rim Uprising? Oh my god! Or Bad Times at the El Royale? I
0: actually quite enjoyed that movie. So yeah,
1: and Elvis is casted as Jacob Elordi. They
0: should have got Austin Butler and made it like a cinematic. He still has Elvis the Elvis cinematic. he got Elvis. He's turned into Elvis. The spirit of Elvis has taken over the his spirit body. Of Elvis. He's gonna die on the toilet. Can you imagine if that happened? If Austin Butler died on the toilet, I
1: think the world would go into a cultural. <laughs> no, yeah,
0: that would be. I, I don't know if I'd ever cover from that
1: um there's also another rumor of her working on another film with the codename domino
0: oh her her name from a uh, frankenweenie yeah oh my god and
1: another film about the 80s aids crisis entitled fairyland supposedly starring adam lambert who tours with queen right yeah and this apparently has been in the work since 2013 really yeah um Here's some notable Sophia stuff. She's the first American woman and third woman overall to be nominated for the Best Director Academy Award. Wow. Is one of the select few who have won both an Academy Award and a Razzie. Damn. And at age 32 became the youngest woman ever to be Oscar nominated as Best Director for Lost in Translation. Wow. But to wrap this entire segment up, I think people are really too harsh on her. Mm -hmm. As there's a lot of stuff I didn't include, especially during my research, about comparing her to her father's work. stuff saying that she's trying to achieve the same status as her father. And
0: I don't think she's doing that. Yeah, as filmmakers, they couldn't be more different, I don't think.
1: And I know the nepotism thing is, yes, she had it easy. She was granted all these connections.
0: 100%. There are way worse people who could be Nepo babies. Exactly.
1: And she seems like she's tried to make herself distinct. And I think a lot of her style and great filmmaking is because of her. It's not because of her dad. No. And I just think people need to realize her work is independent from her father's. Yes, they're related, but it's not
0: the same stuff. No, it's not even close really. And like, I do get it. Nepotism is a, is very frustrating. Yeah. Um, especially for people trying to get into the industry. But, I mean, let's be honest, if it wasn't her, it would have been one of his sons. It could have been anyone and they might have been worse filmmakers. Yeah. But she makes good stuff, right? And, and she hasn't like gone and blown up her budgets to hundreds of millions of dollars and, and all of that stuff. So, I don't know. Obviously, yeah, nepotism is difficult, but she's She's really made a name for herself to the point where I feel like she would have been successful without her dad. Like, she's clearly got incredible talent. In general, though, she stands on her own. And
1: again, part of the reason I think a lot of people are like, oh, she's trying to achieve her father's work can be also boiled down to sexism. Yeah, that makes sense. There's the nepotism thing, but there's also that which I think is a big thing but I think Baden it's time we discuss the film itself the film itself
0: so uh, one more time content warning if you've listened up to this point and you don't want to hear about this sort of thing now is probably the time to turn off because we're going to be diving into it and um, yeah it's, it's a heavy film so here we go all right
1: so Baden Virgin Suicides. What did you think of this one?
0: All right, uh, right off the bat, I watched this twice. I watched this uh, about a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago. And I I watched it again yesterday because I love this film.
1: I knew nothing about this film, like actually nothing. And I watched it yesterday and I was really, really surprised. I really loved this film. It's
0: really good, right? Like,
1: I don't know what I was expecting, but it really subverted my expectations too from the beginning. I was engaged the entire time. The whole
0: time. Like I couldn't look away. It was just brilliant. Yeah. So
1: before we kind of dive into the more specific what was this film
0: about so uh as as an overview of the film there is a family called the lisbons uh mom dad and five sisters and the film opens very early on with the youngest sister committing suicide then the rest of the film it doesn't involve a lot of that it's sort of like the remnants of this family and their lives throughout this particular summer where there's like love and drama it's told from the perspective of these boys who are obsessed With the Lisbon girls, and then eventually there's a crackdown, and it becomes too much, and all all of the sisters commit suicide. Shocking scene, which I want to discuss it later. Oh my god, it's it's crazy. So yeah, we'll have to go through this film. There's so much to say.
1: Okay, so the beginning. I love how it starts. You have like the fantastic bright suburbia
0: shot in Toronto. Really filmed in Toronto as a stand-in for, I believe, Detroit. Wow, I know, crazy. The
1: color grading I thought perfectly captured the essence of the time, yeah. I was like, okay, this is late 70s, early 80s, sort of, you know what I mean? It's
0: amazing how just like that honeyed, light glinting through trees and stuff just takes you back like 40, 50 years, right? I
1: know, I was immediately captivated, and then the fucking cut from the joyful music yeah. to the dull, gray, bluish bathroom.
0: It is one of those films where, like, every frame kind of is a painting. Yeah. And they have such distinct and, and gorgeous color palettes.
1: But I thought what a great way to start the film. You know exactly what it's going to be about yeah it's like okay the film's gonna have happy moments but it's also gonna be a fucking tragedy yeah and then what I love is the great narration mm-hmm. the film has I love how we're seeing the past but it's narrated from the perspective of someone with time has had so much time to reflect on this still can't get still it out can't of work mind. it out right it's so brilliant and I love it at the very start the film tells us literally the narrator tells us this is how it's going to end yeah but we don't know how it's going gonna happen and i think personally
0: i forgot i forgot right you're watching through the middle of the film and you forget
1: like everything is like oh this is gonna be fantastic everything is okay yeah and then oh so in the bathroom cecilia attempts but she doesn't die and so they take her to a therapist who's Danny DeVito. Danny
0: friggin' DeVito. He's so young in this. I know, it's crazy. So first off, his name in the film, his doctor name is E.M. Horniker, which if you put that name alongside Ango Gablovian and de Mantis Toboggan, <laughs> I would not be able to pick out which was the <laughs> one that wasn't from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, man. Um, it just sounds like a, one of his made-up names. Also, you know when he's showing her the uh, ink splotches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one he flips over it looks like the Batman logo <laughs> and I really want to make an edit where he's the penguin <laughs> and he flips it over and the Batman theme starts playing. That's so good. Um, yeah it's a very brief cameo. He worked with Francis Ford Coppola on a film which is part of why he's in here. There are a lot of cameos from Francis alumni. It was delightful to see him though. <laughs> it was great. It was great.
1: And so that kind of leads into this thing where everyone is trying to figure out why she attempted suicide. Yeah. But no one actually knows why. Mm-hmm. So they kind of throw this party and and the fucking slicked back hair Italian kid. Okay,
0: that is Robert Schwartzman, uh, the wow. brother of Jason Schwartzman. It's so funny. He's like the punch scene where he's like <laughs> making eyes at the mom. I know, I know. He's like, he's he's crawling through sewers into yeah. people's basements. <laughs> that like. was such a weird thing to have, but I love how they have this stuff in the film. <laughs> he's the they're... son of Sammy the Shark or something. Yeah. And he never comes back. Never comes he's in like back. He's like one scene. I know, and I just love the idea of this kid, like, sneaking into people's basements through uh, the sewers just covered in shit it just made me imagine like this person waking up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and they open the door and he's (laughs) standing there buck naked (laughs) t-posing covered in shit yeah, he's great.
1: Another interesting thing is that, like, immigrant kid.
0: Right, yes, yes. Who jumps
1: off the second floor of his neighbor's room. His
0: name's Dominic. Call him Dominic Sunglasses.
1: <laughs> and he declares his love for this girl who moves to like, Sweden.
0: I love her. I
1: love her. And then the fact that he mouths it before he jumps. And then he he, he jumps and you're like, oh, shit, well, he broke his leg. She just gets up <laughs> he
0: completely gets on... fine. I, I have a note here. It's, it just says Dominic Sunglasses is a fucking legend and a gay icon. <laughs> Uh, because when he jumps off the side, I don't know if you know, he's wearing this polo shirt, and the pocket—it's not quite like the pride flag. I
1: thought that was the Italian flag. It be fuck. It
0: probably is. <laughs> All Italians <laughs> are gay icons. <laughs> I'm so stupid. you're so fucking stupid um, but yeah <laughs> it's
1: like wow the gay representation of this film um, um,
0: but yeah he's so good and like that's one of the things this film does really well is like sprinkling in comedy yeah and then just intercutting between comedy and like the darkest of topics
1: well what's interesting too is I actually think those segments serve the plot of the film they do yeah I noticed the comparison between Dominic and Cecilia. Cecilia dies and gets impaled on one of like the
0: fence
1: spikes. And she jumps from the second floor Mm -hmm. like the immigrant. Just like him. Yeah. He jumps to show proof of his love. And I thought was interesting is in the party scene, everyone ignores Cecilia. Yeah. Except Joe, who's like this... I think, yeah. he, I think he has Down Syndrome. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I actually looked into it because I was trying to figure out whether, like, I don't know, just it's just more about that actor. There's very little on him.
1: What I found interesting is when Joe actually first says hi, her eyes light up.
0: Like, right. oh my god, Someone summons. actually speaks to her. I mean, like, she's treated like a ghost. Yeah. Like, immediately. And
1: later in the film, she literally is a ghost. She
0: literally is a ghost. Like you said, the contrast between her and Dominic, he jumps and he just kind of gets up and walks away. Yeah. And she is impaled on this- fence like
1: well also it's interesting because in the party everyone is flirting with the other sisters yeah and she's the only one not being flirted with and so while well, Dominic he was like I know who my true love is yeah he's jumping to confess that love she was almost jumping because she doesn't have one. She doesn't
0: have one and it's also like are people not flirting with her because they're not interested? Is it because of her age? Like what is happening right now to leave her out of all of this?
1: And what's interesting too is whenever they're kind of talking about Cecilia they intercut these clips narration of kirsten dunce and all the boys talking about yeah oh my god she's so hot and yeah i thought obsessed. it was i thought it was so interesting because again the comparison yeah
0: because i mean like within i want to say 15 minutes of cecilia's death like mm-hmm. she's forgotten By the boys. Yeah. They're obsessed with Lux and the rest of the sisters, and she's, like, barely mentioned at all.
1: Interesting how, like, the boys all forget about her, because at the end of the film, when everyone commits suicide, the boys are frustrated because it's, like, everyone forgets about the rest of the sisters. Yeah. It's almost becoming, like a lesson learned to them.
0: It's it's fascinating. This is like a small thing, but with the narration, these mm-hmm. boys have now grown up and are, are men and reflect on it when they get together for cocktails and stuff. Yeah. I just, yeah, it makes perfect sense that these four kids all became like business people. Yep. Just like sc- scumbags <laughs> and- Wall Street brokers. And, exactly, you know? like having cocktails and talking about like their obsessions and stuff. It just makes perfect sense.
1: Another thing I noticed pretty early on in the film is how the girls don't really speak to any male th- Figures. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because of the mom's overbearing attitudes, the controlling nature. Yeah, But Cecilia, again, doesn't speak to anyone at the party. The wife or any of the girls don't even speak to the pastor who comes to try to talk yeah,
0: to her. Yeah, who's played by Scott Glenn. First of all, worked with Francis Ford Coppola. Of course. Now, d- did you recognize him? No, I did not. You know who else he played? Two. He's Stick in Daredevil. What? Yeah, he's Stick what? in Daredevil, Scott Glenn. He so- aged off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I can't believe we went blind. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, they don't talk to the priest. They're so locked away.
1: I thought maybe as a comment on how men are trying to speak for women, but they'll never really truly understand the experience of living as
0: one. No matter how hard they try. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And part of that relates to the fact that Cecilia actually tells everyone why she commits suicide. Yeah. She says, it's because I'm a 13 year old girl. Yeah. And everyone else is like, oh. It's dismissed.
0: It's played off as like a joke almost, like an exaggeration. Yeah,
1: it's serious. Yeah. And it solidifies how all the males try to understand why they commit suicide. They try to understand the mental state, but don't actually listen. No one listens in this film. No. They actually quote on this. One of the boys say, they knew everything about us, but we couldn't fathom them at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's when they're reading the diary and the boys start collecting like artifacts from the girls, like uh, lash curlers and photos, stuff that they've thrown away, like this junk trying to understand them. And it's amazing how they've like reflected on this time so much and yet they just don't understand at all and they don't really want to. No. Right? Like they completely, they glamorize them. There's a
1: sensationalism and that starts when Miss Pearl from Channel 2 News Mm -hmm. comes to the house and she's actually pretty much one of the only other female characters who actually talks to the Lisbon girls and immediately from the start she does something none of the other male characters try to do. She tries to fucking person Personalize with them.
0: A little bit, yeah. It's
1: very brief, it's like five seconds, but she asks the question, what did your sister like doing? And they said she loves writing in her diary, and then immediately it's turned around becomes a media kind of Exactly, phenomenon. like
0: it seems kind of genuine or, or maybe, you know, she's interested, and yeah. then it's turned around and it's like, it's monetized or whatever, right? She
1: essentially stains Cecilia's memory. People saying the girl would never become anything.
0: Yeah. Cecilia, like, becomes a face for, like, this national awareness thing. Yeah. Instead Instead of, like, a person.
1: It affects the other girls, too, because all the other males are start being like, oh, do the Lisbon sisters have symptoms of, like, detachment?
0: Exactly. Like, everyone's watching them. And again, they just become like these ethereal beings.
1: By spreading awareness, it did more damage.
0: It did more damage. It, it's it's just so fascinating that, like, they're worshipped, right? But they're also they're like toys.
1: They're literally treated as objects throughout the film. Yeah. They're treated like these goddesses. And I, part of that I think is kind of the, um, the That they wear Mm -hmm. a lot of white
0: White gowns. The
1: white gowns, the dresses the mother makes for the dance is very, like, um, I want to say early kind of Christian attitudes.
0: Part of the way it's shot makes them feel very ghost like throughout the film Mm -hmm. in a way that's like they're almost already dead.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect this to be in this film. Those brief documentarian confessionals.
0: Yes, it's weird. They're sprinkled throughout. It's not quite a documentary. No. But we get stuff with adult Trip Fontaine.
1: We get stuff with the kids outside the steps of the school being like, oh, what did you think of L- Lux? Lux, yeah. yeah.
0: We also get like a little bit from the mom at the end. There's, yeah. She gives like this little bit of voice over this, like, I don't, I just don't know what went wrong. There was so much love in the house or whatever. And that also feels like it was maybe taken in the present day or something. Yeah. It's weird, but it works.
1: And that leads into Trip Fontaine. I want to talk about him a lot. There's so lot much to, to say, say about
0: Trip Fontaine. Holy shit. Right
1: from the get go, I really liked how they do his introduction, how they did the same thing they did with Kirsten Dunst as Lux. Yeah. How it's like showing all the girls are in love with him, how Lux had all the boys in love with him, making him kind of like. He's like a object. weird reflection of her, right? Yeah.
0: It's not quite the same, but there are, there are similarities. There's there are
1: similarities for sure, yeah. When Trip comes into the movie, this is when I know kind of a genre change. Mm -hmm. Because before it was kind of very, like, not gritty, but it was very much serious... Drama, You know, we're trying to figure out what's becoming of these girls, the suicides, you know.
0: He pulls focus, right? He, he becomes like focus. a main character in it, basically.
1: And when he pulls focus, the movie shifts from this drama to like this teen kind of love story. Yeah. And everything is normal. And part of that reason is, I don't know if you notice this, during his sequence, there's no narration. Yeah,
0: there's like, there's no narration. And, uh, you know, it works in the documentary because I think they are talking to him. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it's almost this is Trips' section of... Looking back because they're speaking to him in the present day at like uh, a place where you go after you get addicted to drugs and stuff.
1: That was so interesting. So basically, there's this shot of Trip in the future. He's at like this table. We don't really know where it is. But then at the end of his sequence, someone like a nurse comes up and asks him, "It's
0: time for a meeting.
1: It's time for your six o'clock group meeting." Yeah.
0: So he's in he's in rehab or something, I believe. Yeah. And and so this trip section doesn't have a lot of narration because I think it's him looking back on it from this yep. perspective that the boys never got at the time. And then
1: the narration only begins again after Tripp and Lux, they have sex and Tripp leaves Lux in the field and then Lux comes back home in taxi and then the parents are like, where were you? The color palette shifts it's to these- It's crazy. It gets darker. Dark grays and blues and then the narration starts up again and that's when you're like, oh fuck, we're back to the actual
0: film. You know it's what I mean? fascinating. Like the, the Trip Fontaine section of the film, I was rooting for him. Every time I rewatch this, I keep fucking rooting for this guy because I'm like, oh, oh, you know, they're like working on freedom together. You know, they're opening up to each other and he's, he's obsessed with her and all this stuff. But then he just leaves her.
1: He leaves her in the field. And
0: he can't explain it either. It's so good. And
1: as soon as she enters the house, it's like the dread sinks in. Yeah. The
0: glamour is gone. Yeah. This haze that was over the film. The joy of
1: life. And it has like this dance scene, You know, people are making out, they're drinking, smoking weed, they're all having fun. Probably the
0: happiest any of the girls are is at like the homecoming dance, right? Yeah. Even then, the tone shifts a lot during that homecoming dance. It gets kind of depressing. And then with just a a simple music change, change and a little bit of a tone shift the party like ramps back up it's and...
1: interesting because trip's purpose in the film is again like you said to show Lux. yes there is a sense of freedom yeah but again i also think it is to make them forget about what's gonna happen
0: i know it lures you in and then after trip leaves the film shifts again and i think again the biggest thing i can say about it is that the lisbon girls are like ghosts
1: because the girls get locked down they're not allowed to leave the house they get forced out of school yeah the dad gets fired from his job
0: yeah because he's going crazy that's
1: something i want to talk about actually briefly the dad and the mom's relationship because i actually think the dad liked when the girls socialized. Yeah. Because, you know, when the party happens, he's talking to the boys about like, oh, this model plane. He seems very eager to have another presence in the house. Well, he
0: seems to want to socialize too, exactly. And I do
1: think the dad still is at fault because he can't speak up for himself. 100%, yeah. But the mom is very like, you can't talk to boys, you
0: can't have parties. Super conservative. But what I really like about it is that the film does a good job of not making her an over-the-top villain. She's still feels very natural. There are times in the film where she like defends the girls or has like conversations with them.
1: Part of that I actually think is because of perspective. It could be perspective, yeah. I think if this film was from the girl's perspective, she would 100% be the villain. Yeah. But because it's from the boy's perspective and because they're clueless, because the reason they commit suicide is essentially, there's two reasons. One of the reasons I want to get into a bit later. Mm -hmm. The main reason is the controlling nature of their mother. And the boys can't see that. Yeah. They think like, oh, it's not the mother, you know, it's just like this mystery,
0: Right? Yeah, I think that's an important perspective to show is like, of course, the mother, like, isn't always screaming and yelling and like locking the door and stuff like you know when the girls rush out to protect their tree the mom is like you know they're just standing on their own front lawn right she's like on their side yeah i think it's important to show because that's part of the manipulation
1: you win some battles together but then it's about conquering them in other ways controlling them in other ways exactly
0: like she's not uh, an evil mother in the sense that she doesn't want these kids she's just terrible at doing it yeah i think that's a really really important distinction too to make it makes her way more like dangerous so
1: during the lockdown the boys are kind of very obsessed they're like we have to know what's going on but you were saying how trip doesn't know why he just walked away that night yeah right? and it's interesting one of the other boys i don't know his name he was supposed to call one of the sisters yeah and he just never does mm-hmm. same attitude same mindset
0: well that's the thing right they pass this judgment onto trip and yet they completely lack self-awareness there's this great part earlier in the film to highlight their lack of self awareness right they're reading the Lisbon girl's diary yeah. and one of them who they call the brains um, <laughs> his name I believe is Tim Wiener um, and he he's analyzing it and he's looking at he's like look at the dots above the eyes they're scattered everywhere it's she's clearly like a, a dreamer right and so they're sort of over analyzing the, um, the book and one of the things that Tim Weiner says is that you know these girls are dreamers they're completely out of touch with reality it's so ironic yeah. at that point in time when they are literally like dreaming about the girls based on these like tiny items scattered and around. And then later
1: on in the film, they they like they see what catalogs the girls order. They order the same catalogs and they collectively dream about what their lives. You want to
0: talk about out of touch with reality? They fucking
1: dream that Cecilia's still alive and like she's like a bride and stuff. Yeah, it's so weird. It's, it's
0: gross. And again, like, you're right. Like Trip did this thing, but one of them did it too, and they don't even think about it. Yeah. Like, complete lack of self awareness.
1: One of the sequences I love during the lockdown because we're on a topic. Yeah, yeah, The communication sequence with the records. Yeah,
0: it's interesting, right? Um, they're communicating over telephone, like, through music. I guess so that if the mum picks up the phone, they'll just hear the music. Yeah. And they're using the lyrics of the song to communicate. And from that point on, the girls kind of communicate with the boys through, like, little notes and stuff. They're like, will you help us? They use Morse code. And you can see the girls in these, like, white gowns behind white curtains from the other side of the room. They're, like, night.
1: semi-transparent. They're
0: like fucking ghosts, I'm telling you, right? And so eventually the boys go to, like, drive them away and and drive them to freedom, right? They go into the Lisbon house at night. Oh my god. This scene fucking... It changed my brain chemistry the first time I watched.
1: Basically, it. there's a girl hanging, and you just see her feet, her, yeah. her socks, and a bit of her skirt, and it's just like, holy fuck!
0: Yeah, and the boys just like they run, and as they run, they run past another they set pass of feet, by, oh,
1: and then, and then, oh my god, it was shocking!
0: It's crazy. It's crazy. The group suicide is... And
1: I knew it was coming. I just didn't expect it at that moment. And they trick you, too, because as soon as they're, like, talking about, like, oh, who's gonna steer? Who's gonna sit next to me? Exactly. They cut to their fake road trip that yes! dreaming and about. Yes! And I
0: I watched this with my girlfriend, um, uh, like, a couple of weeks ago, and she got thrown off guard by that scene because she was like, oh, did they actually get away?
1: And they trick you, too, because the fucking narration is in the future, so you think, oh, this is what's gonna happen. Could
0: it be happening? Like, you're this whole time you forgot about the suicides, too. I
1: thought the suicide was gonna happen on the road trip
0: yeah but and then it just happens and like it's crazy as well because lux is there to greet them so you're like you get tricked as well you're like oh well lux is alive right the other girls must just be getting ready all that stuff
1: and then so you basically hear how the other girls do it lux says she's gonna wait in the car she turns the engine on she puts a tube in the car basically suffocates herself one of the sisters dies but she wears um a white wedding dress from like the 1940s did you catch that line? i didn't know i want to talk a bit about of that and then i think one of the other suicides was head, head in, the, in oven. the oven yeah that
0: i think that's the one they passed in the kitchen which is like insane you know what's interesting i i read this on the imdb trivia i haven't actually gone back to look but you know they take a picture before the homecoming dance the dad takes it and lux there's like some something dripping on her and lux like puts her hand up and like the, the picture isn't very good yeah what someone was saying is that the picture actually represents the different ways they die because Whoa. lux apparently lux's hand is up in a position kind of like when she's holding, holding the, the cigarette, cigarette in the al- car car oh another god. one of the girls her eyes are closed maybe it's the oven another girl she has her hand up like scratching her back and it kind of looks like a noose oh my god i have to go back and look but like unbelievable foreshadowing
1: and so after the suicides the family moves away the house is sold everyone kind of forgets about what happens there's this stain left on the town but the boys remember and yeah th- then they have a fucking what was it asphyxiation party
0: it's so different from the rest of the film there's suddenly this green tint because this some kind of algae problem. In the swamp. And so they have this party where everyone's wearing gas masks and it's got this, like, matrix kind of toxic green tint over the party.
1: Also, what was interesting, too, in the party scene, the boys seem like they're the only ones of that age. Everyone yeah. else seems like they're all adults. And I was like, could this be actually in the future? In the
0: future, in the... Pre- like, I, I'm not 100% clear on, like, how far in the future it is, like, yeah. when it takes place. But it's so creepy.
1: And then there's, like, this guy who fake drowns in the pool and he, like... He's like,
0: I'm a teenager. I've got problems or whatever.
1: Ah. Uh, and then... I'm trying to think of how the film ends. They go on the curb, they stare at the house. They light the lighter, and and they stand outside
0: talking about how, like, it wasn't because they were girls or anything like that. It was because we loved them or whatever, and, like, their story is lost or something. And
1: that's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. This this is what I (laughs) want to talk about the reason. Basically, part of the reason they committed suicide was because they were girls. Mm-hmm. It's not their fault at all. And it's not because of the way they were born, but it's because of their treatment of the fact that they were girls. And so, I don't know if you noticed this. Moments before the collective suicide, Lux actually decides if she wants to kill herself or not. Yeah. You know when the boys are steering, they're asking, oh, are you gonna steer? Are you yeah. gonna let me steer? Who wants to sit next to me? And the boys are just doing whatever Lux says. Yeah. She basically is testing to see how shallow they are. Right. And part of this, I think the entire reason they commit suicide is because they essentially are treated like objects. Everyone doesn't care actually about who they are, about their personalities, their interests, and I think that's shown in the perspective of the film. All they care about are these conquests. And if you think about it, Trip left essentially because he was like, "I did her. There's yeah. no, I have nothing else to gain." The
0: only reason he wanted her in the first place was because she was the only girl who wouldn't like immediately fawn over him. And
1: same with the other boys. Yeah, I think part of the reason they committed suicide is because they were just treated so shallowly. And even the fact that when Lux starts hooking up with those random boys on On the the roof. roof. She's just basically just trying to test, can I just get anyone from my sexuality?
0: Yeah, and this one guy who works at like a burger joint, they they go and interview him later and uh, he's like, she asked me, like, do you really like me? And I didn't say anything because you got to keep girls guessing and stuff. And I
1: didn't catch this. After they say, can I take the wheel? Can I sit up front? And all the boys are agreeing. When Lux says, I'm going to go wait in the car, apparently you can see a tear in her eye and the light actually fades in her eyes. Yeah,
0: that can be read a whole bunch of different ways obviously she knows that at that exact moment in time her sisters are dying which is fucking horrifying yeah but also like the bitter realization of what's happening right now god this movie's good it's so good it's so
1: good And i think she was just clinging on to the last hope like the boys are so shallow that they're like oh we never know why they did it it's this grand mystery it's like this weird haunting but fucking if they weren't so shallow they could see that it was because of the mother and it was because of everyone's treatment well exactly
0: and that's one of the things i think sophia does amazingly in this film is despite the fact that the boys are glamorizing these girls I think that their situation is presented at face value yeah right like any truly compassionate viewer is watching this and going fuck I feel for those girls yeah,
1: because they're not treated like real people exactly they're treated yeah. like you said like ghosts like spirits like objects
0: yeah like they are not living a glamorous life but for some reason these boys just have these like this insane perspective on the situation I also think it's really interesting They talk to so many people who have, like, been with Lux, Yeah. right? There's that montage early on with the smell my finger, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's Trip, and there are all those boys who, who she makes out with on the roof and all that stuff. I think it's interesting that basically everyone in the movie can be categorized into either they're in this group of boys who's obsessed with the girls, or they've slept with Lux. That's, like, the only two categories of people, right? And all of the boys who are part of this obsession group are people who have not actually been with her or any of the other sisters right they're like these outsiders looking in and maybe that's why Lux and the other sisters communicate with them because they feel like these are the only boys who um have some kind of genuine intentions
1: I think basically they were their last hope to see if anyone actually truly cared,
0: and it's interesting because like i feel like on some level you know they did care about the lisbon girls just in the wrong way awful ways right they proceed through life thinking themselves so genuine it's infuriating i think that they genuinely think they did everything right yeah and that they were the good guys they're not they're not right they are just as problematic in so many ways oh man
1: i saw one of the reviews and apparently a lot of people when this film came out accused the film of being misogynistic
0: really? I heard that people have made that comment about the original book really? Yeah, which apparently is much more from the boy's perspective. Uh, it was written by a man. Again,
1: I haven't read the book, so it's hard to say. Yeah. But I do think Sophia's interpretation—it's sexist from the boy's point of view. But that's the point.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, it—it it is this horrible. I think there's even a, a term for like the double bind or something, where like yeah. women are both objects of sexualization, but also like need to be pure. Yeah, it's like there's nowhere to live in that in this space anymore. And that's literally what the film has, because from the
1: mother and. From all the boys,
0: right? Exactly. Like, what? Are, what are you supposed to be?
1: I personally don't think it's misogynistic, but then again, I haven't lived through the experience of being a woman, yeah. so it's hard to say. But I think, again, the entire point is that it is misogynistic because the characters are awful.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, obviously, we're not the best people to talk about this, but I, I, I would be really interested to know like, how this film gets received by like, young men.
1: I really wonder if there's anybody who watches this film and just completely doesn't get the message and they're like, oh, well, the boys are right.
0: There have to be, right? There, there have to, to be people who don't understand how insane this group of boys is and like awful it is what they're doing. I thought it was a
1: spectacular film, though. I,
0: I totally agree. I have a bunch of like random comments about the film one uh i think when the girls are introduced there's like a text on screen that has their names and stuff and i'm usually uh, thought of the suicide squad <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, i think you could like probably edit those two movies together <laughs> in some way uh we talked about Danny Vito. uh oh the the priest scott glenn at one point he's talking to the girls and he's like uh, if you need to talk um you know where to find me yeah the church
1: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the fuck uh, else maybe. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I feel like it goes without saying.
1: Oh, there was the protesters at the funeral. What was that about?
0: Ooh, ooh, okay. So a lot of the time in this film, things happen either behind closed doors yeah. or like there's a lot of faces being obscured, particularly the Lisbon girls. A lot of the time their faces are like blocked by like string or, or curtains or yeah. something. But in terms of like behind closed doors and stuff like that, uh, this is part of Sophia's like editing and directing where it makes the world feel so much much more alive when there's stuff that we we get a general understanding of what happened but we don't know the specifics and I think that in combination with I don't know if you noticed this but so many times throughout the film there's like a song playing or something and then it cuts to the next scene and the song like cuts really abruptly yes I did I did did, did. and so that that's obviously like a a stylistic choice in my mind those scenes keep going even after the cut right like when Trip Fontaine's sitting in the car after he makes out with Lux you know when she runs out to him, yeah, and he's sitting there, and then it cuts to like this this other scene, right? Because the music gets cut off, I can still picture trips drive home. I know that the scene didn't end when the cut happened because it makes it makes the world feel more alive.
1: That's what's great about this film is it feels like a real world.
0: Yeah, there's like a, a weird community feel to it. Um, not not community, the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my god, uh, one of the things I love is there are these two women who show up every now and again. Oh, and um, they comment on
1: like like, the is decor. They're like the fucking Muppet guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Into the
0: old guys from the Muppets. Um, yeah. Um, the movie just, it tortures you with little bits of comedy. Yeah. You know, there's this scene where um, right after Cecilia's suicide, the father is holding her body and a water sprinkler turns on.
1: Yeah. Or even the scene where they're trying to get the fence out and they're struggling. Oh
0: my God. Yeah. So like, they're just these little bits of comedy that are so unsettling. And what I like about that, and I think this is a good lead into my, um, my mm-hmm. conspiracy, theory. Okay, right? let's go. So Cecilia dies, right? The father's holding her body. And there's this scene later where everyone's seeing Cecilia's ghost and the father, like, he's walking around the house late at night and the windows open.
1: And then the daughter's like, don't worry, the fence is gone. Yeah,
0: and she looks like a ghost, Yeah.
1: Right? It's shot like a horror movie. The curtains are blowing yeah. weird. Yeah. The windows open. It's so dark and dreary. And then the daughter comes ghastly white. I genuinely thought one of the <laughs> other girls was gonna kill themselves. At that, yeah. Again, I didn't Know
0: anything about this film? I thought the suicides would happen throughout the film. Throughout right? the film, yeah, yeah. It's crazy that they don't, but no, my conspiracy theory is this is not a film about the Lisbon sisters. This is not a film about the boys. This is not a film about sexism. This is not a film about teenagers. No. This is a film about an aviation enthusiast. <laughs> Who slowly loses his mind after all of his daughters die. What? Hear me out,
1: right? No, Vader, this is wild. Hear me out.
0: This is wild. What if all of the sisters died early in the film? And they are essentially, to the boys who are narrating it, they're actually ghosts. The father is this strange character he has a lot of humor throughout the film but he's also clearly losing his mind okay there's a scene where he's at the school and he's just like hopping around and he starts talking to the plants oh yeah right and
1: then the principal comes up and he's like steve or whatever his name is yeah your daughters haven't been here in
0: two weeks and he's like have you checked out back right he's completely lost his mind here's what i'm saying i think this film right think about it What if all five of the girls commit suicide and the mom and dad have lost their mind and are going on as if they're still alive? What if when the boys go into the house at the end and they find the bodies, what if they've been there for fucking like months?
1: That literally could have happened when they brought the girls home.
0: Oh my God. Because
1: Trip is not there. He walks home. Yeah. It's nighttime and we don't see the parents greet the girls at the door.
0: See, like, there's something really eerie about this film. And I, I kind of like this idea that maybe the girls were already dead. I know that the the way they're portrayed as ghosts is, like, metaphorical. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's interesting to read it as kind of literal because the boys at the end are getting these, like, notes and these Morse code signs from across the street. And the girls are, like, ghosts in the window.
1: And the fact that they don't communicate over the phone, it's just through music, like, old yeah, cold music. Yeah, exactly, knows, right? You know?
0: Or, like, you know, ghosts do all kinds of spooky stuff. And I'm thinking, like like, you know, make an interesting horror film.
1: Like a thriller, like yeah. Like a
0: thriller if, you know, these girls, they could have been dead for a long time in that house because no one's gone in. Wow. And no one would fucking know that they died if the mom and dad didn't tell anyone. You, you get cases of this where, like, you know, parents kind of keep pretending their kids are alive after they're dead. And so, like, you know, the, they just leave the bodies around. I, I just have this image in my mind of the dad and the mom watching TV yeah. like, with the corpses of the girls, thinking oh. that they're Still alive. It's dark as fuck. Oh, oh, here's another thing, right? There's this conversation where Trip goes up to the girls, where they're all, like, sitting and uh, having lunch. And he goes up and he's like, Hi, hey, Lux. And they're, they're just talking amongst each other. And the conversation's really weird. Oh, they're just talking about, like, the meat on the sandwich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, Lux is like, Mmm, warm, delicious with, like, the Coke. And then she's like, It's just meat on bread. Ha ha, thanks, mum. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of weird because it doesn't sound like a real conversation. Same
1: with the stuff in the car. Yeah, it doesn't feel...
0: Qu- quite real.
1: And they're like, oh, what's that barbecue stump? They haven't used that. And then the boys are like, well, actually, that's how he uses the
0: tunnels yeah, to right? people's houses. And so, what I think is interesting is, because this film was taken in hindsight, how much of it is what actually happened? And how much is what the boys remember?
1: Unreliable narrator, yeah. Right?
0: Because, were the Lisbon sisters really talking about, like, meat on bread and, like, oh. all these things? Or, is it literally just because, like, the boys have these memories, but they weren't actually listening? So so they've just kind of filled it in with like nonsense. Because they did not know their personality. Exactly. No they've wow. just filled it in with like the like random sentences and stuff based on what they were doing. That's
1: a great interpretation actually. Int- right?
0: I-, I think that's a cool way of looking at it where like part of the reason these girls feel so strange and like foreign is because I don't think what we're hearing is what they actually said. Oh my said. god.
1: And if you think about it, every time we see the girls in the house, yeah. they don't speak to any male character. When they're in the house watching TV with Trip, they don't say anything. When yeah. Yeah. The pastor comes the girls don't say anything right probably because one the male figures aren't listening they
0: they're not really listening but also because the
1: boys didn't have that perspective because yeah. they're not them
0: exactly they're not them so like
1: And so it's just like muted out dialogue
0: these memories are just filled in with junk i think that's like cool way of looking at it i think right? that's a
1: really good way and i
0: i do think that one is intentional
1: i i really do believe that that's a really good thing i didn't even pick up on yeah that.
0: okay Anakin fucking Skywalker is in this film. I
1: knew he was in this film, but where the fuck is he?
0: He is um, one of the guys who takes the girls to the homecoming dance. Oh. It's Hayden Christensen. He looks very dapper and young. He's on the honor roll or something. Right.
1: I was fully expecting... Because I knew he was in this film. I was expecting an adult, Hayden Christensen. I was like, where is he? I just thought it was a oh, yeah. false fact.
0: He's a child. And like, it's wow. really funny because his dialogue's terrible yeah, as well. It's, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, he he just pops up, which is funny. Especially given that Sofia Coppola was in Phantom Menace.
1: Oh, can I say? The soundtrack to this film was incredible. I was
0: just going to say that. <laughs> Amazing soundtrack. Actually fucking incredible. Yeah, I have some facts about that. But I'll, I'll start off now just by saying the soundtrack was was composed by a group called air who sofia coppola was a fan of and listened to while writing the script wow And i went and i listened to the soundtrack by itself the other day so good that little piano is very memorable it's a great soundtrack at a certain point I just stopped writing notes because it's such a good film and I'm, I'm fully engaged every time I watch it.
1: Fantastic watch. Yeah. So, how would you rate the film, Baden?
0: This one is an easy I was almost going to make a rating system based on the sisters, but I feel like <laughs> oh, that's an Christ. awful thing to do. I was going to be like, Christ. how many Lisbon sisters do you rate this <laughs> out of? No matter what the metric is, this is a 10 out of 10. I agree by far my
1: favorite watch of the podcast so
0: yeah by by such like a wide (laughs) margin like fuck i like the duelist i like piranha too but this is a different class of film this is incredible and for a directorial debut insane i
1: really recommend this to anyone who
0: wants to or is
1: thinking of watching this again it is a bit of a heavier topic but it's a fantastic film if you haven't watched this one i highly recommend it
0: go in knowing what you're getting into if you have any interest in filmmaking, this is a masterclass. Uh, it really is, like, such a rich film.
1: So, uh, I think it's time we dive into the behind-the-scenes. light <laughs> on set!
0: So this is gonna be a slightly shorter segment for the behind the scenes than usual, partially because we talked for so long about the film itself. So I, I have some facts here. Uh in the featurette, you actually get to see Francis on the set. Really? He also seems to not have been there for a lot of it, and I know it's a featurette, so it's kind of like advertising, it's like happening. Yeah. But he does look a lot like a very supportive dad on the set. Like he's just kind of smiling and chatting with like castmates and stuff. He doesn't seem to have been super involved. He's got like a big smile. He's hanging out <laughs> with Scott Glenn. There's this really funny conversation where he's explaining something to Sophia about like this is why art's important blah 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 and she's just nodding along and I'm like that's so relatable yeah. you know sometimes your dad's just giving you a speech about something <laughs> it's like and a you... video with James <laughs> exactly <Cameron. laughs> he's just giving a speech and she's just nodding along like mm-hmm mm-hmm exactly the same way I do when my dad like talks about the housing market <laughs> um, I have here that he didn't purchase the rights to the book for her because it was quite a well-respected book at the time and it would have been fairly expensive I believe he said that he didn't purchase the rights to her. Instead, she wrote the script and was going to like pitch it so that she could get the rights because ah. another studio was already going to be making the film. So, uh, yeah, the movie rights to the book had already been bought. He apparently told her not to get her hopes up and get like super attached, but she wrote the script and she went and she talked to the author and stuff and they liked her script better. So they ended up going with her. Oh, that's great. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. Maybe there are conflicting reports on that. Well,
1: I saw that he assisted. So maybe right. he just was like, let me set up a meeting.
0: Obviously, his name can get you like just that anywhere yeah so like yeah. It, it's entirely possible but I, I don't believe he actually just paid for the rights I don't think so either no her brother uh, did a lot of the second unit shooting like the b-roll and stuff like that apparently you know she wanted him to do it because he knows what she likes and she just mm. knew that he would do it the way she wanted to um, which I think is interesting like obviously nepotism and another one of her cousins was an acting coach Wow. Uh, on the featurette one of the things he talks about is how like the set feels like a big family <laughs> well I wonder why And I think it's kind of funny because uh, yeah it yeah, kind of is, because it it's your family. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's why it feels like a fucking family. There's some stuff in the featurette about Sophia herself. People talk really highly of her. One of the things they say is that she has a more mild approach to filmmaking um, and that she doesn't approach it from the perspective of being a dictator and that she kind of has like a softer hand, which is definitely different from Ridley Scott and James Cameron. Yeah. I, I think
1: you need that for this type of film too. Especially when working with kids. Exactly. And I feel like
0: maybe that's something she learned from being in The Godfather the three yeah
1: because from what i got and we'll probably do an episode on francis ford and kind we of will, discover yeah. this but i think he's much more harsh exactly
0: right and i think she took a much more mild approach to this that whether that's because she was working with kids or because from her own experience she knew that like getting yelled at on set fucking sucks yeah, yeah. Um, i think that's really interesting so she really fell in love with the book it was given to her by like a friend Kirsten Dunst talks about how important it was for a woman to write the script. Yeah. So the original book is written by a man. I think it was the guy's first novel. It's
1: kind of like American Psycho. Yeah. How the novel was written by a man, and then how the film adaptation was written by a woman.
0: Yeah. I have some stuff about the general making of. I should have probably led with this, but it had a budget of $6 million. Oh. It's low budget, and that is a pretty low budget. That was but... less than Piranha 1. Oh my god god <laughs> that's fucking crazy yeah yeah so it had a budget of around six million which is like it's not huge but it's not small and i think it grossed about 10 million so like a solid return on a like a low budget kind yeah. of independent film despite that their biggest problem on set was that they were running out of film stock too quickly really? uh, film stock is expensive and it's like not super easy to get your hands on and so they were burning through it really really fast because she would roll for a long time to let the actor's do their thing Ah. Um, and she got a lot of extra footage they were shooting more footage than they could possibly use for the film because she was getting so much out of these actors which i think is really cool but it was posing a problem because they were just running out they were on on their budget they were running out i watched this interesting video from the premiere where this interview is talking to Kirsten Dunst, and like one of the first questions they ask is about the scene where she makes out with Trip in the car, which I feel like is in this whole in the grand scheme of this film, that's not like the most important thing. Yeah. What? And one of the things Kirsten says to the interviewer is like, "Isn't he so lucky?" Like, I'm tired of people saying that I'm the the lucky one. He's the lucky one. I just think it's really interesting given the given films. the film itself. You would think that people would move past that and not be like, "So, did you enjoy making out with a boy?" it's like this is
1: she must get so much of that shit especially (sighs) after like spider-man exactly
0: yeah Apparently, though, Trip's wig fell off the first time they did that scene. So, Trip, Trip's hair is a wig, the like fucking page boy, like peasant haircut wow, he has. Oh, okay. It looks uh, good. I mean, you know. Apparently, it's a really low quality wig. Really? <laughs> like, it was causing a lot of problems on set, <laughs> which is really funny. Yeah, the movie was filmed in Toronto. Apparently, the set had like a real summer camp feel to it. A lot of the actors have gone on to do interesting stuff. For example, Trip Fontaine, Josh Hartnett, is going to be an Oppenheimer. No! I'm not way. fucking kidding. He's going to be an Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. (laughs) Uh, Oppenheimer is a big joke between me. It's a huge, yeah. We it's the atomic bomb of jokes (laughs) in our friend group. Um, also in the in there's a clip where Leslie, um, one of the Lisbon girls, yeah, she and Sophia when they were very young made like some kind of short film and they showed a clip from it where she's running around naked, covered in cookie dough, like just drenched in cookie dough. And I they flashed it for a second. And I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> back it up! I need to know more about this. What the fuck? Um, it's really weird. But yeah, like that's all I really have about the behind the scenes. Like it seemed like a really pleasant atmosphere. The actors have very fond memories. Of it, I also really like the fact that despite the boys' perspective on this, at the press stuff and like in interviews and whatnot, the Lisbon girls and the actresses who play them are in the forefront. I don't think the
1: boys are the main characters, though. I totally agree. Like it's from their perspective, and we see a lot of them, but it's definitely the Lisbon
0: girls. They're they're nothing, and I thought that was cool. A lot of the actresses have gone on to do like more things. They've been quite successful. Josh Hartnett, quite successful. Yeah. No. Wow. Um. Kirsten Dunst, obviously. <laughs> Christensen, biggest actor in the world biggest actor in the world uh, loved him in kenobi loved him in that pizza film oh my the god the film where he's a pizza guy <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um, overall
1: great film really good director i think my favorite director out of the three so far
0: it's crazy ridley scott james cameron obviously acclaimed have done a ton of work but this film hits way harder than their directorial debuts did exactly Anyways, thank you
1: so much for listening to the third episode of the First Film Podcast, where we covered Sofia Coppola.
0: Yeah, thank you guys so much. This was a a long one to record and probably a long one to listen to, so thank you for sticking with us.
1: Uh, Yeah, we appreciate your continued support, guys. Be sure
0: to tell your friends. Uh, We're always looking for new listeners, and we'd really appreciate... uh that
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh like subscribe follow you know so you never miss an episode again um if you have any thoughts any discussions any recommendations too, email us at first film potty p-o-d-d-y <laughs> at gmail.com that's
0: right and yeah we release bi-weekly so uh the next episode in a couple of weeks will be George Miller's Mad Max. Mad freaking Max. I'm very excited. I'm so excited.
1: I've never watched it. Yeah,
0: I've never have either. Oh, I've I've only seen Fury Road. Same. If I really like it, I might watch the second one as well. I'm
1: really excited. So yeah, a bit of a change, but that's what we like here.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah. And then um, we won't give you a sneak peek of the one after that, but I'm so excited for that. We got
1: some good episodes. The lineup
0: is crazy. So thank you all again so much. And we will catch you in the next one.
1: Goodbye.